All right, well, welcome in to the very first episode of Beyond the Clubhouse. I'm your host, Garrett Johnston, here. And, you know, you might ask yourself, hey, why another golf podcast? Listen, I get it. There are so many good ones out there already. But for me, I love the game. But the biggest thing is the relationships. It's the lasting relationships, the friendships you make, not just from playing the game at your local club or just while you're traveling, but heck, just even just talking about it at a barbecue, you know, obviously during normal times, right? Or, or at the dentist office, I've made friends uh, with people in the waiting room talking about how much we loved watching Tiger win, you know, the Masters or, or what have you. So to me, I just love the camaraderie and the friendship that comes from playing and talking about golf. And I've been lucky in, in these last 11, 12 years covering the game as a writer, as a videographer, as a producer. I've met so many good people out there that characters, I mean, we're talking about caddies, players, uh, broadcasters, so many amazing storytellers that you're going to hear on this podcast that have got such a unique perspective on the game. They get it. You know what I mean? They have so many different views, but it's so much fun to listen to them. And I think you're going to really enjoy that. And that's what this podcast is going to do is it's going to be about storytelling. It's going to, yes, we'll react to golf news that happens, the majors, uh, a lot of these events that are going on, but it's really going to be about the people. In the end, to me, golf is about friends. And I know it sounds a little cheesy, but they're, everybody's story is different, right? And for me, my story with golf, it really started in 2008. This is one of the big reasons why I'm doing this. I volunteered at the U.S. Open. I'm from Sacramento, California, and I started working at the golf course in 2006, Bing Maloney. Just your regular, you know, Muni golf course, and tree line. It was a lot of fun. It's a great spot, but just very, um, just kind of humble course. And I had a lot of friends there, and I actually had coworkers that were making fun of me that said, well, you were an idiot for volunteering at the 2008 U.S. Open. Why? Because you got to pay 150 bucks to volunteer. Sounds like a dumb call, right? Well, that gets you your hat, right? Your logoed hat, your logoed shirt, your pullover, all that stuff. A friend of mine, Keith Allen, had first told me about this. He's a local businessman in Sacramento when I was working a shift at the course. And he said, yeah, you can go. Here's the key. You get tickets to every single round of a U.S. Open. And for me, as a Californian dude, looking at the schedule of the U.S. Open, I'd always wanted to go to a major and thinking, wow, I can go for free if I volunteer. What, I think it was four or five-hour shifts at uh, for the USGA volunteer crew. And you're there. You're able to go um later that day if you want to, to, to go watch the tournament well is there another major maybe outside of tiger's win at the 2019 masters in the last 15 years it's been as amazing as that 2008 us open right for me i i just so love the experience um saturday i'll never forget the final i guess it was the third round right who makes two eagles on the back nine of a u.s open and the way he did it right tiger that putt of that triple breaker on 13 the chip in on 17 for birdie when he just started laughing with his caddy steve williams and then of course that putt on on uh, 18 for eagle i remember being in the 18th fairway with a, a couple other fans and they had binoculars we were so far away but yet just the feeling the electricity of being at tory pines i will never forget uh, from that Saturday for the Sunday, the playoff, you, you guys all remember, you're all golf fans, you remember Rocco and the charge he made. I thought, gosh, they played the seventh hole, was it 90, the 91st hole to have to settle a winner and just how fun it was to see Rocco and the energy he had. Anyway, that was a huge moment for me. I came back, 
to my clubhouse where I was working as a starter, as a cashier at Bing Maloney. And I had all the logoed U.S. Open stuff, and I think I got the last laugh with my friends who had uh, questioned my decision to go down there. Anyway, that was a lot of fun. That's one of the reasons why I'm doing this, just the passion, getting into volunteering, This my love for the U.S. Open. 2010, of course, I mentioned California Opens were coming up. I was about 26, and the U.S. Open was coming to Pebble, and you guys remember, Tiger was in the mix there, Phil. And that was really my first foray into golf media. Um, I had done a lot of work in videography and writing um, and in video editing for the Sacramento Kings, where I lived in Sacramento. And of course, Pebble, I had a chance, I was hired by Turner Sports to do some video hits with Vince Cellini, who was their host at the time for um, MajorChampionships.com. It was a a site that would uh, have a ton of video content. It was so much fun. And I, I can never remember another week that was so much more... Like, gosh, this is work. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I would show up to the course, and I remember my producer said, "Okay, we got to talk to Dustin Johnson today. We got to go to Tiger Woods' presser, and we got to go to Phil's presser." That, that, that's the that's the the big part of the day. Can you work with that? And I said, you, "You know, I think Jeremy, I think I can do that. Yes, I think I can." So, just the experience being in the media center, being in that merchandise tent. If you guys remember, you ever been into a merchandise tent at a U.S. Open? Just the the, the pictures of past champions with the trophy, you know, Ben Hogan, Tiger, so many past winners. Um, it really gets you pumped up. And, and I just remember thinking to myself in that media center when I met the likes of John Feinstein and we talked about how awesome it is to go to Opens at Pebble and, and to go to British Opens at St. Andrews and just how excited he was to be a part of it. As a, as a storyteller, right? Ken Schofield, uh, formerly of the European Tour, the Scotsman, and we talked about Scotland. It really shared passion is what it came back down to. Even in those conversations in the media center, just the love of the game of golf really came out uh, with, with with the people I was meeting. Um, but I will say, I got to give credit where credit's due. Vince Cellini, who I worked with for all those video hits um, at that Pebble Beach US Open, he told me that week and also at the PGA Championship Whistling Straits a couple months later, whatever you do, Garrett, you just got to keep writing. You know, this is storytelling. You have to stay in the game. More than half the battle is getting out to the tournaments, but you've got to keep writing. And I took that to heart, and that's kind of how I became um, really a main part of my golf media thing, what I'm doing now, which is writing for the hometown papers of players, writing for caddy network golf.com a few other uh, sites that contributed to golf digest and some videos basically that's how i got into it was just continuing continually finding a way to write and it's it's so much fun because then you get to know the players you make relationships with you know tony finau writing for the salt lake tribune or daniel Summerhays and all, all, all these guys um it's just really a cool approach with getting to know players, getting to know caddies, especially with Caddy Network. It's it's been awesome getting to know guys like Joe Lacava and Ricky Elliott and Mark Fulcher and there's so many legends out there. As I said before, the storytelling from some of these guys is off the charts. You're gonna love some of the stories you hear on this podcast, and I would just encourage you. Um, this is what's what's it's what it's gonna be about. It's gonna be about the people, about the stories, and. Um, Really, my first guest, Kevin Streelman, 2011 AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. That's where I first met him. He was kind of one of my first friends on tour. And he's going to be my first guest. So very fitting to have him. Um, I will introduce him here in just a minute. But I just lastly want to say we all have fans, uh, friends that are all fans of the game, right? 
The thing that cracks me up the most is when you get you got some guys who have their email to end in sent from the 19th hole or sent from the water hazard. <laughs> That's what this is going to be about too. It, it, the game, you, you can make fun of yourself. It's a disarming game, right? And, and people have fun with it. And it's not all about the numbers. It's, it is about the 19th hole. It is about the stories we tell each other about our rounds or about the people we meet. And you're going to see so much of that in this podcast. But yet again, I will introduce Kevin Streelman, my first guest, one of the great guys on tour. And I, you're really going to like this interview. Well, I want to bring in my very first guest for the Beyond the Clubhouse show. It's my good friend, Kevin Streelman, who actually, Streels, you know, we, we, we've met uh, almost 10 years ago now at the 2011 AT&T Pro-Am. Uh, I remember you were out there with Toby Mac, and you guys had a heck of a good time that, that first year. Um, gosh, I mean, that event, it, it must be a special one for you over these years, huh? It, it really is. I, it's one of my first events I actually Monday qualified for back in 2004. And that was the first time I ever got to play Pebble Beach. And it, the, the story of me Mondaying was crazy. It ended up taking two days. Rain was just nonstop. I was the last group out. The last pole of a qualifier, I hit it into a puddle in a bunker. And the rules officials telling me I don't get a free drop out of this stuff. And I'm like telling them I do, but yet it's raining and it's like dark out. I finally just stepped up. He was still talking to me. I stepped up. The ball was halfway submerged in a puddle, splashed it out, knocked it to like a foot and tapped in for power. got the last spot in the Monday qualifier. <laughs> the next day, playing Pebble Beach, my parents flew out, and I just immediately fell in love with Monterey Peninsula, the area, the tournament. I get paired with John O'Donnell. I'm sorry, Chris O'Donnell. His brother, John O'Donnell, is caddying for him, who at the time is telling me about this clothing company he just started. And now for the last four years on tour, I've been wearing Johnny O, which is John O'Donnell, who Chris O'Donnell is his brother. And um, it just it's cool how all these things have stemmed from that tournament and that week and meeting Toby, spending a few days with him. Um, eventually, the last four years, playing with Larry Fitzgerald and through him playing with guys like Aaron Rodgers and Mark Wahlberg. And uh, I mean, just crazy, crazy stories and connections and people you meet. And uh, it's just, it's been a blast. And it's, it's to me, one of my favorite weeks of the year, if not truly my favorite week of the year. I gave it a heck of a run this year to finish second and almost won, but Nick started chipping in behind me and, and he finished like a champion. So he, he deserved it. But uh, it was a special week. And for Larry and I to win our second one in, in three years is something I'll, I'll never forget. So it's yeah. pretty special. Well, you had mentioned, of course, Nick Taylor winning this year, but you had mentioned the O'Donnells and the connection with them. Of course, Chris O'Donnell, a lot of time in Chicago himself. Yep. Um, for for you, with with Chris O'Donnell, there's there's so many guys. I, I remember interviewing him actually in 2016, and he was paired with Aaron Rodgers. And of course, he's a diehard Bears fan like you. He's a diehard <laughs> Chicago guy, and he said the thing about Aaron Rodgers that gets me every time is that as much as I hate him when he's on the Packers as quarterback, the, the worst thing about it, you play with golf with him, is just he's a, he's a good guy. And that's he's just the worst guy. thing. And I know. What's been your experience with, it, with Rodgers? He, he is such a great guy. I had a funny story. So we get paired with him, I think, the second year I was with Larry. And I was a little nervous just meeting, meeting a, a guy like him. But he was, he was like he said, he's so cool and so down to earth. And we get on the first tee and we're talking and he kind of says, where are you from? I go, Chicago. And – I kind of give him a rib about they've just destroyed the Bears for the previous decade. He's like, yeah, Chicago, huh? 
I've done a ride against them for the last 10 years. <laughs> and it's like, you suck. <laughs> but uh, from there on, we had, we had some good laughs. And one point, one true story with Aaron Rodgers, he was teeing up like a good three to four feet, eh, three, one to three feet in front of the team markers, like the first five or six holes. And finally, I get to a point like, dude, what is going on? So we get on the sixth tee at, at Spyglass, the one that goes up the hill. And he's like literally tees off two and a half feet in front of the tee marker. And so I kind of run up next to the tee marker. And right as he's about to pull the club away, I go, Aaron, wait, Aaron, wait. And I look at his ball way in front of the tee marker. I go, first down. And he looks down and he picks up his tee and he's like, screw you, Strill. But it was, uh, it was a really funny, funny moment. But the great dude. Uh, Danica was out there walking along along with us. And, um, no, just one of those the tournaments and, and the people you meet. It's, it's pretty special, special week out on tour. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's obviously going to be playing in the American Century Championship in Tahoe with a lot of your other friends as well coming up uh, in July, late, later this month. Um, what is his strengths and weaknesses uh, with the game from playing with him? With Aaron, he's got a great golf swing um off the tee he fights a, a little bit of a slice i think like most of the uh world amateurs but he, you know, he, he swings it he looks like he's probably a five or six handicap but he's probably realistically a 10 or a 12 but yeah he could fight that slice off the tee and, and honestly some of those guys like larry i mean they're so strong all they need to hit is their three or four iron off the tee and they hit it 240 250 yards especially when they play from the up tees but you know, they're so strong and they can hit that drive 325 yards. They want to do that. But when they have that much speed and not quite the face control, it can get offline very quickly. So that's kind of, I think the ego hurts to a degree that you want to hit the driver so much, but yet they just can't quite square it up consistently enough to really enjoy the game at that, at that high level of the speed of, of a club at speed. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, keep mentioning Larry Fitzgerald, great guy. Um, you play with him. You were second the first time playing with him. And, of course, he's got his uh, secret weapon for Pebble Beach, Mike Zabo, on the bag almost every year. Um, Zabo's a great guy. You know, Zabo told me the, the story. Of course, you've sh- shared this with Colt Nose and, and Drew, Drew and all those guys. That The story of, of course, uh, the 11th hole at Spyglass when that one year in 2017, I want to say when he hit the, it's the most shot famous shot in golf, right? In golf history. When Larry Fitzgerald tees off 20 feet in front of him, he hits the ball washer every single year. His caddy, Larry's caddy tells me that you bring out a video of it and you show it to Larry, you show it to people. What is that experience like showing it to Larry again every year and other people too? He just, he just hates that I have this perfect video and you know, I, I released it on Twitter during the quarantine. I thought the world needed a laugh. And, and <laughs> Larry was begging me not to put it out there. I'm like, sorry, dude, I got to do it. This is for the betterment of the game and society in general right now. And it is just priceless. I just, we were having fun. A perfect Larry story. I mean, we'd finished the tournament. We finished second. We're, it's Sunday at Pebble. Like my family had flown home. I was going down to L.A. the next morning. And he's like, Strills, let's go play another 18 at Spyglass. I'm like, dude, no, I'm exhausted. We just finished the tournament. I think I finished like sixth or eighth, like just trying to take a break, maybe go have a beer and relax. And he's like, we're going to go play. So Zabo, Larry, my caddy, AJ, Montesino, and I go out to Spyglass. And this is another incredible story. The assistant pro, the poor kid there, there's literally no one in sight. There's nobody there. And the, and the assistant pro is like, well, it's $375 a person. 
I'm like, dude, come on. It's Larry Fitzgerald. <laughs> we just finished second. There's nobody here. We're just going to play like nine quick holes in an hour. Can you just give us like heart fees or something? He's like, I'm sorry, my hand. And Larry, like, out of dropping a eye, uh, throws his credit card down. He took care of everything. And we jumped out. We played in carts. We raced around. We decided to play the back nine. We get to 11. And we got music playing. We're having laughs. And I just, Larry was struggling with his tee shot. So I'm videotaping him just to try and help him a little bit, show him what he's doing wrong. And I just capture this brilliant moment of this horrific heel shank of a driver that just beelines 20 yards straight left for a ball washer and darn near knocks the ball washer off the ground. And the sound is just plink, perfect. And me and AJ, I mean, we, I, I still laugh <laughs> on the ground laughing for literally like 10 minutes, how bad of a golf shot it was. But to have it on video is, is pretty priceless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, there's so many cool stories of camaraderie with these guys. I mean, of course, you're lucky living in Scottsdale, being close to Larry and, and, and a lot of other players that come in for spring training. We see your Cubs yeah. shirt there. Um, but, but staying on topic of Larry, I think he gets a lot of negative flack that undeserved about him being an eight handicap. I know he just started golf six, six years ago, roughly. And um, I, I did the math. I talked to his caddy, Mike Zabo, at the AT&T this year, and I had said, hey, he made one birdie. Confirm the numbers. He, he really only made one birdie on his own ball for the last 54 holes. You know, does yeah. that sound like a sandbagger to anybody else? I mean, he hit 15 shots either out of bounds or topped for the whole week. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like, what, what do you think, Kevin? Like, to give him a fair, a fair number oh, there. I mean, it's not, even a, who, it's not even a question. I mean, he is the most honest – uh, integrity filled person I know. And, um, he, he puts every score he ever shoots. He puts them out. He plays the golf like a gentleman. Like it, it is really important to him that, that he does it the right way. And so the, the fact of the matter is whoever wins that tournament or whoever wins any, you know, pro-am division in a, in your local uh, country club gets black for being a sandbagger when they win. I mean, that's just part of the, that's just part of the gig. And so to win it two out of three years, you mentioned you had one birdie. I did have 24 birdies and an eagle over the, the four days, so that kind of helped her score out a little bit. But, uh, you know, we just ham and egged it well. And the, the thing that Larry has out there is he just plays the, the amateur tees are just short. And so me and Zabba, we just have him hitting three and four irons off the tees. And he's Keep him in the ballpark, yeah. Putter. Keep it on the grass inside the stakes. And he's a great uh, short iron and, and putter. And so that's, that's how we've done it. That's been the special sauce that, that's uh, gotten us the, those, high, those high finishes. But I don't know, next year, maybe they're going to knock them down to a two handicap or something. But legitimately, if we're going up to Whisperock, I have to give them about 10, 12 shots. And, and it's, a, it's usually a good match. But his handicap is very uh, legit for sure. Well, his cat or his Pebble Beach caddy, I should say, uh, Mike Zabo had mentioned to me that there's one year for you guys paired together at the AT&T where that night uh, of the round, uh, Larry had to go drop the puck at a Coyotes game. <laughs> and so he had to leave the course early. I mean, his caddy said he had, he had a, a um, the caddy car waiting on a 17 mile drive to skew him, take him away. And he couldn't finish that particular round. Yeah, what what happened? He stranded me on uh, twelve. He absolutely left me to finish it on my own. It was cut day. It was Saturday at Pebble. He had committed months ago to drop this puck on Larry Fitzgerald Day at the Coyotes game. He's like, Strills, I'll stay with you as long as I can, but I have to go. He had a plane waiting, but we, we figured he could make it to the 12th tee. So we get to 12th tee. He, like, hosel shanks it over on the 17-mile drive. He's like, Strills, I'm out. 
him and Zabo run to the car, car's waiting, and he's off. So I'm by myself to finish the roundup. And he's, you know, he's following the whole way. I, I make a few birdies coming in here. Right? I think it was three under the last six. And so we make the cut and, and move on. And he's just so fired up. He felt so bad that he had to go, but he couldn't get out of it. I totally understood. But fortunately, I was able to uh, finish strong. We got to play the next day. And I think that was the first year uh, we won. So mm. it was either the first year we finished second or the second year where we won. But um, that, was, that, was a pretty, that was a pretty cool moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, all these stories, and I love this. This is my favorite part of golf. I love the shared passion and the friendships that continue, the lasting friendships of the game. And when I think about Larry, he, he probably had a chance, you know, to see you and the Travelers make a run recently and finish second. And, of course, you're going to be able to see him in Tahoe you know, later in July when he's playing his celebrity event at American Century Championship. What is that like back and forth texting with, with Larry when, when you know you're playing well and you're going to hear from him after a final round yeah. and, and, and back and forth with him when he's playing? Well, it, it's, uh, you nailed it by saying it's just, it shows the special relationships of the game of golf. And you know, when Larry and I first met, I thought, oh, it was cool because I was getting texts from Larry or I could talk. But now it's just – a friend where he's just truly cares about how I do and he follows it. And I know him and some of my buddies like cool clubs were texting each other. They're following. And, um, you know, it's, it's the same, like another funny story, a few weeks, uh, a few months back, I'd made the cut and finished like back of the pack. I think 72nd out of 73 players. And I get a text from Brian Erlocker. It says, at least you didn't finish last. <laughs> Give me some credit there, you know. And so, and so, but then to say, like, he texted me right after this weekend and said, "Dude, I was on pins and needles watching the end. How's that ball not come down on 17? Like, to like, it's it means a lot, you know. It really does. And and I'm the same way and follow what they do. And Larry's got good games, you know. I, I know he gets a zillion texts after his after his games and stuff. But I think it just feels good to know your friends are are supporting you and are following you. And it's not that we. We don't want anything from each other just just love and support like that's that's really all it is and so um i think that's why we get along so well i know i don't need or want anything from him i just want to be his friend and uh he feels the same way about me and and um it's just it's nice to it's nice to have that that's what's special about this game yeah and you know i alluded to it earlier uh, you being so close to back nine on sunday at the travelers really had a good chance and you'd won there before um, yeah. what was the reaction like? I know when, when we texted Sunday night uh, of that finish, you would say, Hey, there's a lot of people I'm getting back to. And, and what was that like to get back to all your friends? I know you want to win so bad. You want to get there again, but what was it like just the camaraderie and, and talking with them again? Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, there's, I literally had probably 250, 300 text messages right when I got done and just family and friends and emails and calls and, um, it's tiring, but very special. And I wouldn't want it any other way. You know, it just means a lot that, that people care and that they're supporting you out there. Um, honestly, this one still, it still kind of hurts a little bit just because it was so close and um, it just had to happen for a reason. I look at Dustin's ball on 15 and mine staying up there on 17. It just, it was literally inches, <laughs> inches from going the other direction. But I mean, that's the game of golf. And it is the same thing. I look back at that run I had on, uh, travelers in 2014. I mean, that was inches going, going my way that, that year. And, um, uh, it's just what's so great about this, this game of golf and, and, and the competitive nature of it. But 
like I said on the telecast, it just it, I really wanted to get a win for my kids could watch watch me and um, who knows what the future holds and maybe they'll get to be out there one one week when I when I am able to grab another one. But um, that one was close. It, it was I, I tasted it there for <laughs> for a minute and uh, got to move on. I, there's a lot of positives to take from it. I'm thrilled. My world ranking jumped way up. My FedEx Cup jumped right way up and. Ryder Cup. Um, Ryder, Ryder Cup went to 15th. Yeah, all the way up to 15th. So um, those are kind of career goals that are important to me and I can focus on and A, staying healthy, but B, keeping my game where it is and, and um, getting ready to keep it keep it going next week when I get out for the work day and then the memorial of the Jacks place. Yeah. Well, you mentioned 250 messages to hear from, from, from that many people for our golf fans audience or that would be, be hearing like wh what names would they recognize? Was it guys like Erlocker or, you know, some of your Cubs buddies or yeah. I mean, who would we recognize? Yeah. I mean, uh, those guys, Brian did and John Lester and Happer and, and, uh, Larry and what would they say? Just, just, Great job. We were watching it all along the way and, and uh, rooting for you. Um, how'd that ball not come down on 17? How'd Dustin's ball not go in the water? You, know, you just get a little bit of everything. Why, why your sunglasses look stupid on the back of your head? You know, oh, like, no, who, who told you that one? <laughs> I got hundreds of tweets about that. Uh, so, you know, just, just a little bit of everything. But um, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fun part of it. It is a fun part. It is if you have a bad Thursday and Friday, you miss the cup by a bunch. It's amazing how you get zero point zero texts or, or emails, and, and uh, you know people kind of stay out of the way of those. But um, no, it's fun that people are watching, and we can. And then most importantly, just provide some entertainment in these these times right now. So I'm proud of what the tour has done and continuing to do going forward. It's it's not uh, it's not an easy task. So they've been doing the best they can. I think they've gone off to a great start. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, here you are late with a chance to win. For golf fans that listen to that and, and haven't tasted it, right, the excitement, the adrenaline, like what is that like? How would you describe that to us with those final few holes and then playing without fans there right now it's the two hours to deal with? What is, yeah. what is that aspect like? Well, they're very different. The, not having the fans there is just – it's like a, a vacuum of all the energy, <laughs> the potential energy. Um, I mean, like, uh, Mackenzie Hughes made those two bombs on 17 and 18 coming in. And, I mean, the fans at that tournament making those putts would have gone absolutely bonkers. And it just gives you goosebumps, and it's exciting, and it's fun. But literally, it wasn't a sound except Mackenzie, like, fist pump and say, yeah. And that was, like, literally it. And so that is different and new. But, like, our competitive passion and, like, being in the moment and our concentration and all that stuff is exactly the same. I mean, coming down the stretch, I knew what I had to do, had to do. I knew I had to birdie 15. My pitch kind of came up a little short there. That great chip on 16 that I thought had a chance of going in. And then I knew what I had to do on 17 where I needed to hit it. I thought I executed it. It just stuck up there for, unfortunately. And then I went to Mike, I said, we got to birdie 18. Just, we got to do it. We got to do it. Got to do it. And, um, yeah, I guess I've been out here long. I played competitive golf for nearly 30 years and professional golf for nearly 20. So I've, I tell people I've screwed up enough things. I've hit every bad shot. I've hit tops. I've hit shanks. I've hit, I've hit everything. And so I'm not scared of screwing up in those moments. Like that, that 
I, I don't have fear of that. I have a greater fear of not concentrating or really taking advantage of an opportunity in front of me. So when I taste that victory or something's close, I'm going to go for it. And sometimes you screw up and sometimes you don't, but at least when you go to bed that night and you look yourself in the mirror, you're like, man, at least I gave it, I gave it a shot today. I gave that putt a run. I gave it, you know, that chip a good chance. I gave it you know, rip driver here coming. Like you gotta, you gotta go try and win it. You can't try to not lose it. And that's the difference. No that, regrets. Yeah. That it takes. So that's what hurts with this last tournament is that I, it was a pretty darn good round and I really executed a lot of the shots I needed to. And it just, just was a little short. So, I mean, I'm got to be okay with it and move forward, but um, you don't get those opportunities every week on the PGA tour. So um, move on to the next one. Yeah. Well, when we move on and, and look ahead, I, I, I loved I love the American Century Championship because I'm from Northern California. I always harp back to that, and that's part of the camaraderie of the game is seeing all those pros that just so disarmed in that environment. You know, yeah. it's, un, it's just an unnatural environment for them, and they they seem so relatable. They're they're laughing with fans of people. Uh, obviously, this year no fans, but you look at that field list for, for the celebrity event there in Tahoe and you see Jay Billis, who's a big Duke guy, as you know, and uh, there's so many guys, Larry, of course, playing a uh, Tony Romo, um, a lot of names out there. Uh, who do you recognize from, from that list? And uh, you know, what are a couple experiences you really enjoy with, yeah, with some of those guys? Um, I played with a fair number of those guys. You're right. It, it is funny. I mean, obviously, if I went onto a football field, I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> I wouldn't even know how to put the pads on. And so for those guys to step into a different realm, which is not their, like, passion, which is not their – well, I won't say passion. Not their professional uh, elite, you know, performance-based uh, profession. It's got to be tricky. It's got to be tough, and it's nerve-wracking because they're not as good as it, at it as they are at some other, you know, avenue that they, that they are really good in. That's why they're there because they're celebrities from being so great. But um, clearly, you know, like Romo's played in PGA Tour events and done pretty darn well. So, I mean, he's going to be tough to beat in, in those situations. Just like, uh, I mean, gosh, Mark Mulder. I, I don't even like playing him straight up at Whisperock. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> dude carries it 330 yards. He's a good putter. It's like it, he's a plus four or five handicap. I mean, those guys are really good. They play a lot of golf. But guys like him and uh, – um, Gosh, I mean, who else does really well in that event each year? The uh, yeah, tennis star. Well, uh, um, well, Marty Fish plays in it. Uh, yeah, Mark Marty Mark Fish Rippin is um, yeah, won it, I believe. Rippen. He's played plays really well. Um, I had the list in front, but but what about guys like Jay Billis? Have you played with Jay Billis much at all? I've met Jay. I've never played golf with him. No, no. I love. Uh, he can sometimes get a little. Uh, I think he's protective of being too overly dookie so he kind of like almost goes the other way sometimes in the telecast i kind of like jake come on dude stick with your blood here but uh oh, with your no, gut he's, yeah he's such, a, he's such a stud but um i have not played golf with jay um well, jay got, feely like, i play a lot of golf with yeah um good great kicker uh for decades out there but um what's his biggest strength jay he's a great competitor He's a great competitor. He loves having the action on the line and, and will keep pressing you until you get nervous and he's, he's just fearless out there. 
but he's a, he's a good ball striker. He drives the ball well. And, um, he's become a great friend. Yeah, he was texting me the other day, too. Um, who else? Kyle Loesch. Cody, Cody, is Cody playing? Cody Ross? I will have to double check that list. He might be, yeah, because he's a bit. He lives right down the street. He's a great, he's a great golfer. He's a two, three handicapper and murders the ball, just rips it. What about his weak? Well, what's his weakness, though, as a player? Um, it's he, he's the epitome of he, he wants to hit it harder and harder and harder. He'll hit three or four nice drives, and all of a sudden he just gets in front of one as a great hitter that he was. I mean, he's an MVP in the World Series for crying out loud. But he gets in front of one, and it gets right and going right, and you can't even look for the ball sometimes. It's so far right. But um, I've helped him out. I give him a few drills, and he gets back to it and starts hitting pretty well. But he's a great guy and a great dad, and he's got four sweet kids that live right up the street from us. But, um, yeah, you, got, you got guys like Joe Buck who's going to be there as well. You ever played with Joe Buck? I've not played with Joe. Okay. I met him one time at a U.S. Open, but um, I've not played with him. No yeah. more with the U.S. Open. <laughs> Big change, yeah. What do yeah. you think of the change? It seems it seems sudden. Um, and I actually thought you, that Fox had gotten so much better the past few years. I mean, the first year or two were brutal. I think everyone would agree with that. But <laughs> the last few years, I mean, I think last year was great. So they've, they've improved a lot. Clearly, the business model isn't quite what they expected to be, or else they wouldn't have, wouldn't have left it. But um, I'm sure NBC will step in right away and, and do a great job. They always have. You mentioned looking at the players at Tahoe. Uh, you mentioned Mark Mulder. He's played there many times. Um, is there a part of you as a Cubs fan? Your dad took you to Wrigley at age five. You know, you celebrated that finally that World Series of 2016 while you were in Vegas, I believe, playing exactly. a tour event. Yeah. You shot 67 the next day. My God. Uh, was there part of you that's like, Mark, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take something out on you for, for, uh, for playing so well against my guys over the years? I know. You know, not as, now that we're on the other side of that World Series, it was just the most incredible year and the most incredible series in game six and seven, arguably the best. I mean, obviously I'm a little biased, but arguably the best game in like, history. But the way it happened and went down, you couldn't have asked for a better, a better finale for that first World Series in so long. So. No, it, it just was an awesome deal. A funny story about that night, too. Um, we were in Vegas. It was getting very late, especially after the uh, rain delay. And I had the very first tea time in Las Vegas, which was 6.45. And I get to the course two hours before my tea time to kind of stretch and eat and do all my things. So we're talking about 4.45, leaving the hotel at 4.30. That means I'm getting up at 4, and they're still playing baseball at, like, 1.30. And then they win, and I literally, like, I can't go to sleep. I'm just, my friends are texting me. We're all crying. Like there's adrenaline. Like it's, I think I slept 45 minutes before that 67. It was like one of the best rounds ever because I was a zombie walking around out there. But I was so excited still that the Cubs had won, finally won a world series. Man. I mean, I can relate to that with golf. Like I, I covered the 2015 open championship and I covered Zach Johnson's win for his hometown paper. Yeah. And that night I stayed up till I think 5 a.m. in the media center filing my last story. Wow. Slept for 45 minutes because we had a round, we had 54 holes of golf the next day in Scotland. I, you know, and I had to get up and, and play North Barrick and, and yeah, uh, gosh, a bunch of other courses. But I, I definitely understand the passion there. I'll, I'll wrap up here with just a little segment about practice. You know, one thing in, in my beyond the clubhouse podcast, the relatable aspect of golf 
for us amateur golfers, recreational golfers, is we can look at pros and what all what do we all do every day when we go to the course? That's the same. Is it's warm up, right? You had mentioned warming up there in Vegas that week. So when it comes to the pre-round warm-up, Kevin, what does that look like for you? And how long is it normally for a round of golf? Yeah, it's it's really important, especially as I'm I'm now 41, almost 42. Um, and big knock on wood, I've not had a a big injury in my career. And it's, it's, it's hugely important for flexibility. I tell people flexibility of your hips, your lower back, like everything comes from our center and our core. So you have to keep those hip flexors open, like sitting in the pigeon stretch, doing leg kicks, side kicks, like opening both sides, doing kind of raises over like maybe over a foam roller or something like anything to get those hips moving and open in the morning will help you immensely. So I am, you can get down to the frog position, doing crawls, doing like get your hands really close to your feet, get your butt way up and do some kind of bear crawls back and forth, crawl forward, crawl backward, crawl to the side. Like I'm always crawling and, and work with these great guys, premier fitness systems here in, in uh, Scottsdale. And Greg McLean is just, he's like a, a movement specialist and we're just always moving. We're not lifting a ton of weights, but I swear he's, he's added years to my career because it's just like, I feel flexible and open and ready to go play. So that's a big part of what I'm doing in the gym before. As far as golf wise goes, I start with wedges to just try and get rhythm and contact going. So as you start with my 60, hitting like 60, 70 yarders, and then I'll amp it up a little bit. One little superstition nerdy thing I do is uh, Thursday and Saturday, I use my even clubs warming up. Friday and Sunday, I use my odd clubs. So I go Thursday, go pitching wedge, eight, six, four, uh, and then a few of each of the woods. And then the other uh, Friday and Sunday, I go nine, seven, five, three, and then hit a few woods. Um, just to, to keep, keep the, keep the feel though. yeah just to slowly work up the bag and build your speed up but another thing too it's like I don't I don't get too crazy about how I'm hitting it on the range and I'm also not super target oriented when I'm on the range it's just kind of just getting contact and getting moving and then as soon as I get on the course it's like like focus target let go of swing thoughts let go of all this I might have like a rhythm thought or like a grip pressure thought but I'm like Coming down to Travelers, I was so into my targets. Like, you can't mess with your golf swing at that moment. And any attention paid to your golf swing in those moments is going to be away from your target and where you actually want the ball to go. So I was in a great place mentally, like just visualization and seeing it. And I just step up one look and rip it. Like that's how you got to play, in my opinion. If you got one, two, three swing thoughts, you're completely forgetting where you're trying to hit the golf ball. And it, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, well, you talk you talk about the full swing, Kevin. Um, chipping and putting as you're as you're getting ready for your round. What is what is that focus like for you? Yeah. So, like, incredibly important part, especially when you guys are going to different courses, is to get speed of the greens down as much as possible. And you even need to step up and hit it, hit it at uh, holes. You know, just putt across the green to the other fringe, and then come downhill to the other fringe, and get it halfway there, and then get it just past the hole, then short of the hole. You're dialing in your distance and your speed for that day. It's incredibly important because you can save so many shots. The last thing I think when I step into a putt is great speed, great speed. I'm trying to hit every putt, you know, 12, 18 inches past the hole, whether it's a three foot putt or a hundred foot putt in my mind, I want it to go that far past the hole because that will mean it had a good chance of going in, but yet you'll always have that tap in coming back. You leave it a foot or two short on every putt of the day. Guess what? You're not going to make a single putt the entire day. So you have to think, think speed and then the line comes from your speed. So you have to start with speed and then work on your line. Too many times people start with their line and then talk about speed. It just 
it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Short chipping pitching wise. Um, big, like when I get to a big difference was going from Hilton head to Hartford. So Hilton head, we're talking all wet Bermuda grass that had popped up the dorm, the, uh, overseed is gone that we normally play with in April. Um, and all of a sudden you get this spongy Bermuda grass and it is tricky to chip and pitch off of. I mean, you got to have the right live. It's into the grain. It starts grabbing your wedge. You hit those stupid chunks that go nowhere. Um, <laughs> we've all been there. Yeah. You go to Hartford and all of a sudden now we're back on bent grass, which is what I grew up in. And I'm just super comfortable on. So I mean, I short gamed it awesome last week and was, was not as good in Hilton head, but that's when I get to a course, I need to see what the chipping areas are like how thick the rough is, and then how, the, how thick the bunkers are playing. Is it really a thin sand where you're kind of grabbing a lot of spin and you're getting close to the ball, or is it super thick where you got to be very careful of it, um, you know, taking too much sand and digging? So those are kind of things you're trying to analyze each week on tour to, to prepare. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the most important part of warming up. Get that green speed down and get a good rhythm to your golf swing for the day. Yeah. And the, the last question I had, uh, really for us amateurs or recreational golfers, when we're coming from the office and we're squeezing and we only got 10 minutes, yeah. 15 minutes to really get warmed up with our swing and on the range or on the putting green, as you mentioned, what really should be that focus in that 15 minutes? Yeah, I would, I'd really, as soon as you close the, you know, slam the trunk and get your clubs out, I would just spend a minute or two, like I said, just moving your body around, doing some leg kicks, kind of getting down and, and kind of getting the hips open a little bit. I really think that's really important to, to get your back and, and everything loosened up before you get on the golf course. Um, if you can hit a few balls, like I said, I'd start with some wedges. Even to hit two or three wedges, two or three mid irons, and then two or three drivers, and then go back to one or two wedges just to get that rhythm and that contact down. And then get on the green get on a putting green real quick and just get that speed, feel the speed. If you can hit 15, 20 footers, it's not about making that putt. It's about feeling how fast the greens are for that day. If you can dial that in with your body, it'll free up when you get on the first hole and you're looking at a 25 footer, know how hard to hit it. Save shots. Saving shots, man. That's the name save of the shot, game. Got to save shots. <laughs> and we appreciate it. Kevin. Uh, obviously that's the name of the game. We, we love the game for, for the scores and the shots, but just for the people and the friendships. And I appreciate you being my first guest here on the pod and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon, my friend. Me too, Garrett. Thank you, buddy. Anytime. All right. Thanks again to my guest, Kevin Streelman, first guest on the pod. And of course, so many of his buddies uh, that he's met through golf are going to be out there later in July at the American Century Championship in Lake Tahoe. And that is just a can't miss event in terms of watching it on TV. Once things normalize out and we get fans out there again, you have got to go. Golf fans listening out there, that is one of the funnest events. You can see a different side, a disarming side of so many of those athletes when they're uh, hamming it up with the, with the fans. And you've all seen it. I, I would encourage you. That's just one of the best ones. But uh, yes, again, thanks to Kevin. And really stick with me on this pod. I, I think you're really going to like the storytelling you're going to hear from other players, you're going to hear from other caddies, uh, media members, broadcasters, so many fun people from the game. There are so many characters. I, I cannot emphasize that enough. And people that have a perspective uh, that's just amazing. It's going to be so much fun to listen to. So I will see you guys soon. Uh, my Twitter is at Johnston Garrett and look forward to catching up again on the Beyond the Clubhouse podcast here.